We're talking about the way, uh, walking in integrity. We're saying that actually at the root of this is not a command to be good, although we have dissected it a bit. We've, we've, we've spoken about some specific situations where we need to make a little progress. We've talked about keeping our word and the importance of that and how our culture and our society kind of plays a bit footloose and fancy free. It's all relative. You keep your word, of course, keep your word until it's a little inconvenient, then you don't keep your word. And we said, that's not going to happen with us. You know, we're going to set our sights on keeping our eyes, as it says in Psalm 15, even when it hurts. We've talked a bit about actually being good citizens and paying our taxes, you know, and that can be a little bit, well, everybody does it, you know, you know, I'm not going to fill in my, I'm not going to put that on my tax return. We've talked about that, and I know that was challenging for some of us. I know that was. Also talked about tithing, about honoring God, giving to God that which is God's. That, you know, people get all sort of upset and, uh, uh, about that, and we kind of, kind of relativize that, and we sort of try and get out of that. But you know what? Let's just, just do it straight. Let's just do it according to the book, and let's just keep our, our focus on that. So there's been a number of challenges which I've wriggled under and others have wriggled. And, um, you know, I've been inviting our staff in particular, but a number of people to just speak the truth to me. In fact, we had a staff meeting during the week, and it was sort of talking about a particular policy thing that we're doing. And, and there were three members of staff who felt very strongly we should go one way, and there was uh, myself who was arguing that we should go another way. And, uh, you know, it was, it was a good conversation. It was healthy, a robust conversation, but it was a difficult conversation. But I just thought, you know, I'm, I'm going to commit to this. I said to the staff, I said, okay, let's just stop there. Let's just, you know, what... what what are you hearing me saying? We're having a conversation, but there's some heat, there's some energy in this room. What are you hearing me say? And they reflected back some stuff, and some of it was okay, it was on the money. Others, some of it wasn't so okay, but I thought, I'm gonna bite my lip, I'm gonna suck that one up. And, and, And what I did, I wanted to embrace it. I want to embrace comments, because, uh, you know, there's truth in that, and I want to learn. And at my age in life, I tend to think I know everything. Anybody else thinks they know it? Oh, there's a few hands going up. Yeah, you know, you've only been around the block a couple of times, you know, and you think you know it. But you know what I have committed? I committed a long time ago, not just because of this, there is to be a lifelong learner. And as a follower of Jesus, as a disciple, you commit to being a lifelong learner. And I need my, my close associates, those who know me well, my, my colleagues, my staff, to speak the truth to me. It's healthy for me, it's good for me, and not always everything that's said I like and some things I love, and sometimes I'm pleasantly surprised. But the reality is we need one another to speak the truth in love, and it may not be completely right, but there should be grace in the speaking of it and in the hearing of it without rearing up and getting all defensive. And I think if we can build a community like that, we will get better at speaking the truth in love to one another, and I think that we will grow in character because it is character Character, character, character at the heart of all this that will keep us walking on what they used to call the straight and narrow. We won't see one another kind of suddenly, you know, crashing and burning, as I described it, like my dear friend who was due to be a bishop and then had an affair, or my, my dear friend Mike, who I told you about last week, who for years, you know, great guy, lovely, very generous in charity, but all that time he was fiddling his taxes, etc., etc., etc. You know, so this, this, this talk has really been a way, in some ways, of clearing the decks, not just because it's good to clear the decks, and it is, and not just doing housekeeping, but it's actually 
there's been a, a motive behind the motive, if you were. And that is that I believe that we are on the brink of what the old timers used to call a visitation, where God comes and moves among us and does wonderful things and takes us to a new level. But when God does that, you know, when he takes us to a new place, a new home, a new, new, new place of residency, then, then he clears up. Just like Fliss and I, I mean, I spent most of the weekend taking stuff to the tip. It's really good taking stuff to the tip. Who likes taking stuff to the tip? It's great, isn't it? It's a good feeling, you know? And actually, I really like going to the tip now because everything is recycled, you know, and it's, they're really, you know, you've got a box of stuff and, you know, uh, what was going to take two minutes takes 22 minutes because the fellow's breathing it down your neck and he's saying, that bit of wire needs to go in that bin and that bit of plastic needs to go... You know, it, it's tempting, tempting to be irritable or ungracious. <laughs> Uh, but actually, you know, God's doing a work in me and I'm building character and uh, I did it all with a smile. Well, hey, you know, but it's a good feeling. But, you know, you clean house before you move house. You clean house before you move house. And God is not just going to leave us here comfortless. God is going to take us to a new level, a place where we can really shine as a city set on a hill, a community that really has got something to offer to a hurting, broken, bleeding, confused, disorientated world that's lost its way. That's what he wants to do. So that's what we're talking about. This is the last one in that series. Bit of a gallop this morning, but no, pin your ears back. Open your Bibles, get your notepads out. Let's go for it. So the first thing I want to say then is, you know, there, there is a goal. Let's just start with a bit of scripture. We'll use a, bit of, a fair bit of scripture this morning. Philippians chapter 1, verse 27a says this, whatever happens, whatever happens, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Whatever happens, not when it suits you, or when you've had a good day, or when you've got a bit of money in your pocket and you're feeling generous, whatever happens, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. And I said that there's going to be five things that we can aspire to or work on or sort of keep you know, pretty much to the forefront of our mind as we try and, and make ourselves available to the Holy Spirit for working character in us. And the first one is, and all of, none, none of these are complicated, they're always fairly straightforward, they are attainable goals. You know, we, we, we are a visionary church, we're always pushing on with vision. But no matter how big the vision, like buying the building next door and extending our food bank to the region and all the rest of it, and with the, you, know, you know already we've bought that now, we've got that, thank God. You need to set attainable goals. You know, sometimes I get asked to go and speak to groups of pastors and what have you, uh, and that's a great honor. And, and they say, well, Chris, you know, you know, 30 years there and all the rest of it, how's he done this? And it's about setting attainable, knowing where you're headed, and that might be a bold, outrageous, audacious vision, but you need to be able to set a, attainable goals. And so what I'm going to share with you are all attainable goals. And if you'll work them and keep visiting them, you will find the person of Christ growing within you, the image of Christ developing within you. So the first one is this. Let Christ be your goal. Let Christ be your goal. You know, uh, Rich taught a very good course, a Rick Warren course, a couple of years ago. I think it's a Rick Warren course called The Me I Want to Be. Was that what it was called, Rich? What is it? It's a John Ortberg course. I, I love John Ortberg, and we should run that course again sometime, and it's a brilliant course. It's well worth doing. You know, it's about having the best version of you, uh, and we, you know, I, I think whether you're a follower of Jesus yet or not, you know, we, we all want 
And we can all see the sense of being the best version of you rather than the not so good version. You know, but quite frankly, I want to challenge John Ortberg a little bit. It's not quite high enough. The bar is not quite high enough because actually what God wants to work in us is not the best version we can be, warts and all. It's actually he wants to make Christ in us. Christ in us, the hope of glory, it says. That's what God wants to work in us, Christ. So let that be the goal, not, well, I'm better than the next bloke, or I'm better than my brother, and he's all right, so-and-so, you know, because we relative everything, we compartmentalize, well, I'm better than the next bloke, well, I'm not like them, or this, we make these horrendous and horrible and degrading and demeaning comparisons. Folks, the person that God wants us to be is like Christ. We bear the name for a reason, Christians. We are not just followers of the way, which is what the followers of Jesus used to be called in the early church. That was the first thing they were called, followers of the way. But they became known as Christians. Why? Because they were seen to live a Christ-like life in terms of self-sacrifice, many of them actually going to the, to the, to the cross or to the arena or to, to be martyred. And we became known, and it was a compliment, as Christians. Why? Because we were Christ-like. That's the goal. So when we're talking about your character and the way you do business with others and the way you relate to others, let Christ be your goal, not something less, not something less. One of the talks, and I wish I'd heard it, I think uh, when Wendy was interviewing, uh, the conversation was about, one of the questions was about approval and about, about how we so often seek approval from others. Well, you know what? I understand that, and I've lived my, myself underneath that pressure. But you know what? The older I get, I want, I want to be approved of by God. Now, I know I'm loved by God. Don't get me wrong. But I want him to say, well done. Not my mate in the pub. I've a pint, you know, I was out with my mates on Thursday night at the car club, and you know, they tease me because I'm a vicar, but you know, they're very sweet. Uh, but, but, you know, but quite frankly, you know, you know I, I, and I value their appreciation and all the rest of it. But the truth of the matter is, at the end of the day, I want God to say to me, Chris, son, well done. Good job. Well done. I saw how you struggled. I saw how that was easy for you, and you, you used that talent well. But I love the way you struggled with that inadequacy, that weakness and how you humbled yourself, and you sought help, and you confessed yourself. I love the way you did that, Chris. Well done. Let Christ be your goal, first point. Second thing, then, admit that there's room for improvement. You know, it's obvious it's not rocket science. Now, this is going to cause a little contention. Why don't you turn to your neighbor, husbands? Okay, blokes, we're going to lead the way. Turn to your wife and say, honey, there's room for improvement in me. Okay? Do it. I, I caught you then, didn't I? <laughs> okay, fellas. And if you're not married, and if you're just with a pal, blokes first, turn to your husband, your, your, t- turn to your spouse and say, there is room for improvement in me. Ready? Do it. And the wives are all giggling. They can't just believe what they've just heard. Okay, ladies, it's your turn now. And if you're just with a bunch of friends, just turn, or, with your, or just with a near neighbor, just ladies, turn to your, your partner, your spouse, your friend, and say, and there's room for improvement in me. Ready? Do it. You see, the truth is, 
The truth is, this is easy to say and a little bit of a laugh, but the truth is for some of us and many of us, even that is difficult to admit to someone who knows us well. You know, even that is difficult to admit, but you know, we've got to get over this. This is not the place or the time or the season to be bashful or to hold back. We've got to go for it. You know, and God is saying, I can work with you. And don't think that your set of circumstances or your, your, your challenges or your, your, you know, your, your, are unique or are known to me because God, believe me, has seen it all. And what's more, he is the author and perfecter of my faith. Say that. God is the author and perfecter of my faith. He can do it. But he needs you to begin by saying, I need help. I've got to admit that there's room for improvement. I've got to admit that. If you're not going to do that, well, then you might, you know, you, you're not going to even start. You can look like a shop window, like, you know, walking down Bond Street in London, you know, staring in the window at the beautiful gems and jewelry, watches and things, but you'll never go through the door. You'll never wear a piece like that. You can just look at it. You can see it clearly, but you'll never, you'll never own it. If you won't admit that there is room for improvement, you will never own that, that Christ-like character you will just know what it looks like, but it won't be you. God forbid that that's going to be true for you. The third little thing then, uh, and last week, by the way, uh, yeah, a little verse of scripture we looked at, it was the Matthew 7 thing, and I'm not sure, yes. Every good tree bears good fruit, but a bad tree bears bad, bad fruit. You know, when God is at work in us, we will begin to bear good fruit. But all too often, the first stage in discipleship seems to be beginning to learn very quickly what is the right thing to say, so, you know, you kind of get the measure of a group, you get the measure of a church, you get the measure of a car club, you get the measure of, a, you know, the, the work culture at work or the culture in, in your college or something like that, and you find out what, what to say and what you can't say. You know, you find out what the right thing to say is. It's the same in church, folks. People learn to say the right things. But the reality is, is, is it working out inside of you? And that's what Christ wants to do. That's what God, the Father, and the Holy Spirit have set their absolute chin to do. They are determined to work Christ-likeness in his church. And so, that will mean that we have to go through some tough times, a bit of pruning perhaps, but fruit will grow within us. Fruit will grow within us. Okay, the third little thing I've got here, rattling through, is just a reminder at Midway about character. It's about character. Please don't just think it's about, oh, I've got to do this, I've got to do that. Here's my checklist. It's about God building character. And sometimes, you know, God does funny things in order to build, you know, it was a bit like, I've used this illustration, I think, before, but if you are a sailor, sailor, and I'm not much of a sailor, you may be here in your boat, you may want to go there, but to get there, you've got to go there first, and then you go there first, and you kind of tack. You know, I think many of you know the process. You kind of tack to get to there. You can't sail straight into the wind. You can stray, sail with the wind behind you, but, but the, the best things in life mean that you have to you know, fight your way upstream because culture is just sweeping us along like that. That's easy. Go with the flow, no problem, no challenge there. Just do what everybody else does, and that's great. Over the waterfall into hell. But the reality is that as Christians, we go against the flow, and that takes some this and that, and toing and froing. And the truth of the matter is that sometimes you may ask, you know, God, what are you up to? I just don't understand why you aren't coming through for me for this. 
But the reality is that, that God is almost obsessive. Can I say that about God? God, he says, I'm a jealous God. He is obsessive about working Christ like this and he will do whatever it takes to perfect you. He will do whatever it takes. And so if, you, if he knows you've got to go there, you know you've got to go there, the pastor says you've got to go there, and what does he do? He takes you over there. And you think, what? And that's because that way is a place of challenge, which the byproduct will be that then you can go there because it'll work character deep inside you. Third little pointer here. I need wisdom and insight to grow my character. I need wisdom and insight to grow my character. You know what? It's a healthy thing to invite others to speak into your life. A bit like I sort of surprised, actually I didn't surprise the staff, I do it from time to time. Um, you know, when I said to the staff, okay, what are you hearing? This, this, this conversation is not easy, There's, it's a challenge, you know, we're talking about this policy, there's a certain amount of, uh, you know, disagreement, and I, I, uh, my staff will tell you, I do encourage them to disagree with me, and sometimes, very annoyingly, they do. Um, but they do, uh, and in fact, they're very good at it, actually. But the truth of the matter is, the truth of the matter is, it's only as you open yourself up to the insights of others, and they may not be, they may not be 100%, but there's always something to learn. There's always something to take away. There's always something to take to, to God in prayer. And say, God, you know what? I, I, I confess fearing my anxiety. Uh, Lord, I, I, I confess a lack of trust, all right? I, I confess that, that I feel uh, outraged or humiliated. You know, these things, these things are natural human reactions. It's not wrong to feel these things, but the, tra- the fact of the matter is that they, are, they can be tremendously useful if you embrace them as part of God's discipline, God's challenge. Got it? So, uh, you know, you need wisdom and insight, you know. Um, a couple of little proverbs here. In fact, let me read it to you because uh, the, the Proverbs, by the way, book of Proverbs, Billy Graham, um, I think I've told you, I had the privilege of meeting him many years ago and hanging out for a little while with him. And I asked him about his daily devotions and he is, I think it's public knowledge, and I've, heard, I've read it since, but he said, I do a number of things, but one of the things I do is I read a chapter of Proverbs every day. There's 31 chapters of Proverbs, so it works on the month. You know, and if it's a shorter month, then I read a double dose. And he's just, his daily discipline has always included, I, I, I haven't done that, I must admit, you know, but I do find myself going back to Proverbs. You know, to read through Proverbs and the wisdom of Proverbs, it, it really is quite something. And it does hold a mirror up to your soul. You know, there are things that you embrace and say, oh, yeah, I've, you know, I'm, thank you, Lord, you know, I'm doing pretty well on that. And the other things you think, oh, gosh, you know, whatever. I'll have to think about that. But Proverbs is a good little discipline, you know, to whatever else you might be reading, a daily bread or, you know, some sort of product, some, some um, publication, but a, a chapter of Proverbs a day. Uh, you don't want to do just Proverbs a day, but a chapter of Proverbs a day is good for the soul. So let's just read this little thing. It's about the moral benefits of, of exposing yourself to wisdom, other people's wisdom and insight. You know, it says here, verse 1, I think it's going to come up on the screen, I don't know, but I'll read it anyway. Uh, my son, if you accept my words and store up my commands within you, turning your heart to wisdom and applying your heart to understanding, 
Indeed, if you call out for insight and cry out aloud for understanding, and if you look for it as silver and and search for it as for hidden treasure, then you will understand the fear or the awe of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. And this is where I love it. Verse 9 says, then you will understand what is right and just and fair. You won't be just like some sort of clone just doing what is right because you're programmed to do. You'll begin to understand it. And verse 10, this is what I love, for wisdom will enter your heart, not just be something that you carry in your head, you know the rules, you know how to play the game. Wisdom will enter your heart and knowledge will be pleasant to your soul. Character will become part and parcel of you. God, who is the author and perfecter, will work wisdom in your heart And so when you find yourself in those compromising positions at work, or when you find that very attractive um, boss shows you uh, uh, you some some attention if you're a a working lady in an office, or if if a fella, if some some sort of receptionist flutters her eyelids at you, and all these things we're subject to, you know, even pastors have people flutter their eyelids at them. Would you believe it? I know it's incredible. Absolutely incredible, but my wife does it all the time, yeah. Um, <clears throat> moving quickly on. And um, verse 11, discretion will protect you and understanding will guard you. <sighs> you know, I can say be good, be good, be good, be good, be good, be until the cows come home. And it will have some benefit, but not a lot, to be honest. But if we expose ourselves to what, you know, what we've called personal growth, which is really spiritual growth, if we allow God to work character within us, then when we are faced with these compromising or challenging or difficult situations, it will be upon our heart to act aright. Got it? Please nod. Great, thank you. Good. So uh, first, uh, the fourth thing I want to just say, I need challenges and experience to grow my character, and in some ways this might be the most thought-provoking. I certainly think this is possibly one of the most difficult things for us as a culture. Let me unpack that a little bit more. Romans 5, and we've been reading this a fair old bit in the staff, really, verses, in fact, the whole of Romans 5 is a wonderful chapter for all sorts of reasons, but Romans 5, verses, um, I think it's 3 to 4 or 3 to 5, I can't remember what I said now. 3 to 5, it says here, not only so, but we also glory in our sufferings. Let me read it from the book. Um, Excuse me, beg your pardon. Not only so, but we also glory in our sufferings glory in our suffering, says Paul, because we know that suffering produces perseverance, perseverance character and character hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. Three words there, familiar to many, but let me just sit on this for a moment. Perseverance, says Paul, produces character. We're talking about developing character. Character produces hope. Now, I am going to speak for myself, but I, because I've, you know, to the best of my ability, pastored you for this long time, I know that this is something I've heard a zillion times as a pastor. But speaking for myself, there have been times when I have said to God, God, what are you doing? What's going on here? Why won't you? You, you, God, you, I love you. Why won't you give me that job? Why was I overlooked in that promotion? 
Lord God, why am I suffering this uh, persecution? Why, Lord God, is it so hard at work? Why, Lord God? You know, I, I, I often say to the Lord, my little shorthand is, God, was that really necessary? <laughs> and there's a bit of an edge when I say to that. I, you know, I had a hard day, and I look back on the day, and I think, sheesh. You know, I'm really under the cosh already. I'm under pressure, and then I get that email or that letter or that thing goes wrong or that thing that we thought was going to go right has gone pear-shaped. And I say to God, God, was that really necessary? You know? And there's a complaint, an implicit complaint there. In fact, that's a loaded statement because I'm saying, God, do you know what you're up to? Do Do you understand what's going on down here? Do you understand what it's like? Um, you know, hear it from people for, to have a boss like that. Why doesn't God just open up the ways? God, you know, why doesn't God just bless me? Why doesn't God give me that house I want? Why doesn't God get my kids into that school I need them to do? Why doesn't God, why doesn't God, why doesn't God? What is God playing at? Anybody put on, put a hand up? You see, I hear this every month, many a time. And I pray with the people, and I minister to them, and I'm not, and I'm in that place too. But the word of God says this, and we've got the wrong idea about suffering. Paul says, I glory in my sufferings. I beg your pardon? Paul says, I glory in my sufferings. You glory, what are you, some kind of masochist or something? You glory in your sufferings? Isn't that why we signed up this so that we get the, you know, the good life and a ticket to heaven? You know, what's, the, what's the matter with you? Paul says, I glory in my sufferings. And he says, why? Because perseverance produces character. God uses struggle and strife. Jesus said it, you will have trouble in this life. You will have trouble. I'm sorry if you thought you were gonna have lambs and daffodils and skips through the park, you know. There will be moments like that. God blesses us and he, loves, he knows how to bless his kids and gives us lovely surprises along the way. But actually, God uses and often sends struggle to work perseverance in them. Now, if we know what God is about, if, God, if we know that that's what God is doing, at least we can embrace it rather than do what I usually do is have a strop. <laughs> You're enjoying this, aren't you? <laughs> you know, bless God, I'm going to embarrass Tracy here. I'm going to ask you to stand up. Tracy's had a very serious hip condition, and she's really, really struggled with that. But bless her heart, she's turned up every week at feed and she's been one of the key, one of our key volunteers. She is standing up, bless her heart. And even though she's had a very serious thing, her, her brother is very sick, dying of cancer, please pray for her. She has shown real character. And I've never heard her, she may have done it at home, which is maybe why she's laughing, but to me, she has never complained. And then this week, she had an operation on her hip and bless her heart, she's back in church. And, where was it? Double operation, and God has given her grace. You can sit down. And you've said it before, so I'm going to say it again. When Tracy came to us, she had a little bit of a problem with drink. She came to us, she came through feed. 
but she was baptized. She is a just a wonderful part of our congregation, and she is someone that God glories in now. She's, God looks at Tracy and says, "I've not finished with her yet, actually." <laughs> but he'll nudge the angels in the ribs and say, "She's coming along nicely, isn't she?" Now, Father, just pray protection on her, just because I've singled you out. Some would be concerned that that would mean that you might get a, slot, a side swipe from the enemy. I say that will not happen, and I bless you now. Father, keep her to the apple of your eye, hide her under the shadow of your wings, and confuse the enemy concerning her. And everyone said, Amen. We need to encourage one another. But God loves it when a challenge that he has sent along is not seen as an excuse for, for the rebellion that is at the very default of our heart. You know, it says in Romans 5 or 8, I get muddled. We are enemies of Christ, you know. Is that 5, isn't it? It is 5, yeah. Romans 5, it describes us as that. That's, that's the default. You may say, I'm not an enemy of Christ. I'm a very nice person. Thank you very much, Chris. Who do you think you are? Actually, the scripture says we're all enemies of Christ. That's where we start. But the reality is, if we can begin to set Christ our goal, if we can admit that we need God's help, if we can embrace wisdom and insight, if we can humble ourselves before others and say, you know, so tell me, what are you saying? What, what do I need to hear? And if we can stop going rah when they, when they offer you some advice, then God begins his work of character change in us, makes us the people he wants to be bearers of the name of Christ, worthy of that name. None of us are there yet. There's more to go. There's more to go. But God has been doing this since the very dawn of time. And it brings glory to him when we embrace discipline. Hebrews 11 says, do not complain when God disciplines you as sons, for every loving father will discipline his children. Kids do well when they're disciplined. They do not do well if they're allowed to run riot. And he will not let us run riot. So, perseverance, if a God, God, if God sends challenge your way, whatever challenge means for you, or if you're going through challenge at the moment, come at it another way. Instead of just complaining, if you're complaining, if you're in that place, or, or just, uh, of just begging God to deliver you from it, it, it's okay to do that. Scripture would encourage us to do that, to cry out to God, cast all your anxieties on God, for he cares for you. But in the midst of it all, do what Jesus did in the Garden of Gethsemane. He said, not my will, but yours be done. Believe that God wants the best for you, but give God permission. That sounds a weird thing. Does God need permission for anything? No, of course not. But it helps sometimes for me to say, God, I give you permission to do whatever you need to do in me to make me more like Jesus. And let me ask you a question. I have the privilege of serving you for this season, not forever, but for this season as your senior pastor. Wouldn't you like me to be more like Jesus? Yeah, you're nodding a little too enthusiastically, actually. <laughs> not sure what I think about that. Of course you would. Of course you would. We have the great and awesome privilege and responsibility of, of carrying the name of Christ in the 21st century in this part of Hertfordshire. And we want to represent him to the world. And, and of course, you want me as the leader of the church to be more like Jesus. And you know what? God wants you to be more like Jesus too. Okay. <clears throat> 
So some very practical, as I bring this thing to, to an end, some very practical and, and, and not rocket science by any means. By the way, I want to say, uh, I want to acknowledge that uh, a lot of this stuff, and if you want to pursue this more, uh, do read, there's a number of articles about integrity. I think probably my favorite is Henry Cloud's book on integrity, and I've lifted a few things out of this. I'm free, happy to admit it. I think we've even got one or two copies on the bookstore. I don't know, but I think we have anyway, so go and have a look. If not, order it. Integrity by Henry Cloud. But uh, the fifth thing then, so what, what can we employ? What things can we employ? What, what, you know, what, what are the things that are going to help us work these things in us? Well, of course, God himself. Just pressing into God. You know, the beginning of the year, we talked about you know, God's heart for us in this coming year is that we press into him and press on with that which he's called us to do. Pressing in and pressing on. That's, kind of, that's a little sort of key, interpretive key for the year. Pressing in and pressing on. And the first thing is not just trying to be good and do the works of God. It's actually to press into God himself. You know? It's as you get to know someone that you begin to understand who and what they are and why they do what they are. So you may have a best friend and you may know them very well. You may have known them for 20 years. And then, you know, it's not the kind of thing I wish on anybody, but you may be in Starbucks one day and another friend starts mouthing off or slurring that friend of yours. And you feel kind of, you say, you know, I'm sorry, you're not, you're, can I, I'm sorry, I can't, I can't sit here and let you say that. You know, I know Joan well. And I know what she's been through. I think you're misrepresenting her. Why? Because your heart, you're feeling that. You're wanting to rise up to your friend's defense because your heart has been knit to some degree with Joan. You understand Joan. As your heart is more closely knit with God's, you begin to understand his ways. So you realize that it's not just about blessing, 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 blessing. But actually God is trying to work something in us so that the world might see what it looks like to be Christ. God is at work in us. And so we press into God because we love him and because he's the sum of all of our longings. And as he said to Abraham, Abraham, I'm your very great reward. God is an end in himself. The more you know God, the more you love God. It's to know him is to love him. And that's why we talk about a personal relationship with God, about pressing on in and taking hold of that which God is. And so we will be a church that will always have an emphasis on intimacy and worship, a kind of worship that actually draws you into God. We don't sing about God or we don't sing war songs to one another saying, up, oh, let's get it out there and let's do the work of ministry, whatever it is. We tend to have sing songs that are directed to God and give vocabulary for expressing love and adoration because it's as you draw too close to God, indeed close to anyone in intimacy that you get to know them better. So the first thing is getting to know God. Trust in the Lord, Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 says this. It's a favorite verse of a number of us. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. We sometimes think we know God. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding, but in all your ways submit to him. There is an element of submission, sometimes not knowing what God's about, but trusting him. Father, not my will, but your will, Jesus said. And he will make your path straight. You won't, the more you know with God, the less zigzagging there will be. The more direct paths will be laid before you. Submit to God and he will direct your paths. The word, of course, studying the word. You know, Psalm 119, your word is a lamp, verse 105. 
your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. That was one of the first verses of scripture I think I learned. It's writ on my heart. Your word is a lamp for my feet and a light to my path. I remember when we first, you know, God began to move upon us and we, we moved to this caretaker's flat who had sold the business, that got, well, we gave the business away, got, went to Leeds, inner city Leeds, and we had this caretaker flat. And I remember we had these, somebody gave us some scrap paper for the kids to draw, and we started writing verses of scripture on them, didn't we, and sticking them on the hall there. Do you remember that? We ended up with hundreds of verses of scripture on the wall, you know. It's put our favorite words, but I think the first one to go up was Psalm 119. Your word is a lamp for my feet and a light to my path. You know, this book reads us. We don't just read it. As we read it, as we study it, as we interact with it, as we ask God about it, as we learn from one another. So it begins to read us. It tells us what we are like. It shows us the way out of those negative and self-destructive things that bog us down and and dog us even to this day. You may have been a Christian for 20 years and still you're struggling with issues like shame. Still you're struggling with unforgiveness and bitterness to another. Still you're struggling with things that drag you down and you know that they're not Christ-like. The book, the spirit, and God himself who is our Father will set you free from that as you keep returning to this, as you keep coming back to his word. And finally, his people. We have a responsibility to one another. 1 Thessalonians 5, 11, I love this. Thank you. I th- uh, Therefore, encourage one another. We need encouragement. We need encouragement. I need encouragement. We all need encouragement. Encourage one another and build each other up, just in fact as you are doing. You know, I've always thought that there are two kinds of people. It's always dangerous to say something like that. But I've always thought that in the spiritual life, there are two kinds of people, those who build you up and those who tear you down. Believe me, some of the emails that we get, you know which side they're on. They haven't got a good word to say about anything. Yeah, my connect group leader doesn't know the Bible or you know, the, the, the worship in the church is too upbeat or the worship in the church is too downbeat. Or the, you know, I had one just recently from a lady and I won't mention her name, it's shameful. There's about six things, different areas of the church she was harping and criticizing about. Now, you know, we looked at them all because there's something to learn. You know, I said that, didn't I? But the truth of the matter, this woman is just tearing things down. There are people here who will be sent into our community to tear things down. Do not tolerate that, or at best just turn away. Do not listen to it. Because the word of God says that we are here to build one another up. You know, when my son, bless his heart, in fact, all my kids were good at athletics, but when my son started uh, playing football, you know, you know what, you, what do you do? You encourage, you say, yeah, great shot, son, great shot. You didn't say, yeah, but you missed. <laughs> you suck at this. Have you ever thought of taking up knitting? You know, <laughs> you don't do that, do you? Because a six or seven-year-old is probably going to show some talent, but there's, you know, there's a, you know, we have to build one another up. I'm not talking about sort of being ridiculous, but I'm saying we need to encourage one another. Now, if there's blatant sin, and missing the goal is not blatant sin, but if there's blatant sin, well, then we need to learn good ways of challenging one another. 
You know, where we sit one another down and say, okay, I may be completely wrong, take it or leave it, but I'm seeing this, that there's a bit of arrogance there, a bit of anger. You know, the way you spoke to so-and-so, there was an edge on that, which quite frankly seemed to cloud some truth that you were speaking, but there was anger or bitterness, what's going on? These kind of things are legitimate because the heart is there to build one another up, to help one another along. That's where the heart is. But the heart is just to find, you know, things to tear people down with. Well, you know, you shall find it. Jesus said, I've often said this, Jesus said, ask and you will receive, seek and you will find. And, if, and I wanna say to people, what are you looking for? Because if you're coming among us looking to find fault, you'll find it. You really will, you know. Uh, and there's no prizes for that. You will find faults. You will find that we don't do you know, the feed ministry right, or we don't do worship right, or we don't do welcome right, or we don't do connect group right, and this lady was listing all the things we don't do right. If you're looking for fault, you'll find it. But the book does not say, find fault with one another. You may be the world's expert on finding fault with churches. Boring. We're called to build one another up. And as I said at the beginning, God's plan is to build us up so that we all find maturity in Christ. 